It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 15. <clears throat> We're uh, getting into specific names of God, really excited, and uh, decided to start off with one of my favorites, because uh, I just wanted to go start with a bang. So, uh, Exodus 15. Uh, Exodus 15 is an intriguing passage. Uh, it starts with this idea that the Israelites have been in Egypt for 400 years, and Moses shows up, and they come out of the land, and uh, here they are, they're, they're marching out, and they cross the Red Sea, and the story picks up. They've, they've gone past the Red Sea, and they're into the wilderness. And the name I want to look at this morning is the name Jehovah Rapha, uh, which shows up in our passage. But just want to read it, and then I want to dive into this. So Exodus uh, chapter 15 says this. Then Moses had Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, which again is a desert. And they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. And they came to Marah, but they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitter, right? So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Then Moses cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a tree. And Moses threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he set them a statute and a judgment, and there he tested them. And he said, this is what the Lord said, If you will earnestly listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, Yahweh, am your healer. And it's the name Jehovah Rapha. Uh, it's intriguing to me that when you look at this word Rapha, uh, it can be translated to heal or to cure or to restore. Uh, for example, one of the ways it is used is like to restore or to rebuild something. Uh, for example, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, it tells us that Elijah said to the people, come near me. So all the people came near to him and he raphaed the altar of Yahweh, which had been pulled down. So can, can you get this scene? Here, here's Elijah, and he's doing the whole prophet of Baal battle thing. And he comes to the altar of Yahweh, and what does he do? He heals it. He restores it. He rebuilds it. He, he cures it. He puts it back to the way it should be. That's the word Rapha. And as you look at this idea of Rapha throughout Scripture, uh, it shows up in a variety of ways. Uh, for example, it, it is used often of physical diseases or sickness. Uh, so for example, in terms of the physical healing, uh, Psalm 103, verse 2 through 5 says this, Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Think about this. He's the one who pardons all of your iniquities, who raffas all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness, which is the word hesed, and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So here's the psalmist going, whoa, soul, magnify the Lord. Why? Well, one of the reasons we should magnify him is because he 
Rapha's, he heals, he restores, he cures all of our diseases. So one of the ways the word Rapha is used then in Scripture is this idea of the physical. Uh, another way this word is used is in the emotional. In other words, we have these emotional distress, this emotional sickness. And what, what does God delight to do? Well, he, he wants to heal the emotional stuff, which is exciting to hear. It's not just physical, it's emotional. Uh, for example, in Psalm 147, it says that he is the one who Rapha's the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isn't that a beautiful passage? That God is desirous to bring healing and restoration, even emotionally, to the depths of your soul. Uh, another way this word is used is in the sense of spiritual sickness. In other words, we have sin and we desperately need healing. We need, a, we need forgiveness. We need a restoration. We need a complete transformation in, in the spiritual sense. So a couple passages, Psalm 41 verse 4 says, As for me, I said, O Yahweh, be gracious to me, Rapha my soul, for I have sinned against you. So what is the psalmist asking God to do? Hey, God, would you just radically change the depth of my being? God, would you just heal that sin, depravity, that twistedness of my soul? Would you, would you bring healing to that? Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 22 says this, Return, you backsliding children, and I will rapha your backslidings, says the Lord. That word backsliding means the turning away, apostasy, backsliding, rebellion, faithlessness. God says, look, you, you have turned from me. You have ran. You have walked in rebellion. You, you, have, shake, you, you have shook your fist in my face. You, you have walked in your own sin and your own unrighteousness. If you would just return I will heal that. Isn't that phenomenal news? That, that God is, this, he is desirous to heal. Now, I, I want to emphasize a concept, and it could be contentious, <laughs> perhaps. But God loves to heal. I, I mentioned this previously about the name Yahweh or, or Jehovah, that, that when you get into the name Yahweh or Jehovah, it's the same name, right? It's that personal name of God. It bespeaks of God's always character, that he is always the same, that he was and is and always will be who he is. So when God says, do you know who I am? I am Jehovah Rapha. Do you know what that actually tells us about him? That he wasn't just a healer once upon a time ago. It's he was a healer, he is a healer, and he forever will be a healer. That's great news. That it's not like, well, you know, several thousand years ago, God was in the business of healing. But that stopped. Your emotional problems, good luck. Hey, hey, your physical stuff, your spiritual stuff, yeah, he can't deal with that anymore. What are you talking about? God doesn't change. So when God says, you know what my character is? Do you know what my nature is? Oh, I'm going to reveal my name to you. That my name is Jehovah Rapha. That I am the one who was, who is, and forever will be a healer. That I am the one who delights in healing. We should step back and go, wow. Because I don't know what it is that you're going through, but I need Rapha in my life. Don't you? And whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, or whether it's spiritual, do you realize that God actually delights in healing? 
I find it really intriguing that the very first mention of healing in Scripture was before Adam and Eve sinned. So even before the fall of humanity, God is a healer, which tells us something. Healing is not an afterthought. Healing isn't plan B. Healing isn't like, well, you guys messed up, so I guess I'm going to have to start working on some stuff. I'm going to have to heal that. God is always a healer. And you see this in the garden where God puts Adam into a deep sleep. So we know he's an anesthesiologist, right? And he puts Adam in a deep sleep, and it says that he opened up his side and grabbed the rib and made Eve. Now, it doesn't tell us this, but logic tells us that God healed the side that he opened up. That should be logical to us, because my guess is Adam did not have this the rest of his life, right? That, that there was a healing that took place, which means that God put him to sleep, God opened him up, took out the rib, put it all back together, right? And made Eve. Woo! So God, even before the fall, was healing. Does that make any sense? Now, as you move into the Old Testament, what you begin to find interesting is that God does all of these miracles and wonders and signs in the Old Testament that he heals diseases. He heals emotional stuff. He brings back people from the dead in the Old Testament. And this only heightens and increases in the New Testament. So here is Jehovah Rapha, who comes in the flesh. His name is Jesus. And what do you see Jesus doing? Healing. And it's like the God of the universe who delights in healing, who reveals his name as Jehovah Rapha. It wasn't just an Old Testament thing. This thing ramps up in the New Testament. Why? Because Jehovah Rapha has taken on flesh and everywhere he goes, isn't it fascinating that people were just drawn to him and they were constantly bringing the sick and the needy and the destitute and the emotionally distraught and the demon-possessed and they're bringing all these people to Jesus. Why? For Rapha, for healing. In fact, John, looking at this whole thing, said this about Jesus in John 20, verse 30. He said, Therefore, many other signs or miracles Jesus also did in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. And then he goes on and he says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written one after the other, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Could you imagine? Have you ever been to like the Library of Congress or just a big library? John is supposing that if we actually wrote down everything that Jesus did and all the healings and all the stories, the book's of the world could not contain all the stories. He was constantly healing. He was constantly forgiving. He was constantly dealing with the emotional stuff. He was constantly, God delights in healing, folks. He's not a, well, I guess if I have to. He's a, whoa, I get to get heal again. Why? Because he's Jehovah Rapha. He was, he is, and he forever will be a healer. And that should be great news for us. Isaiah, speaking of the coming Messiah, Jesus, said this about what the Messiah was going to do. He said in Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he, the Messiah, Jesus, was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed 
for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace fell upon him, and by his wounds we are rothed. Do you know what one of Jesus' primary things? Yes, it was forgiveness. Yes, it was to restore relationship with the Father. I get all that. But do you realize that the prophecy was, oh, when the Messiah comes, oh, he's going to rafa all over the place. Now, one of the things I find really interesting is Jesus didn't just heal physically. He didn't just heal emotionally. He didn't just deal with the spiritual stuff. Do you realize that Jesus dealt with racial and political divisions? I, I, I've talked about this passage before, but in Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus is, or sorry, Paul is talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. And uh, I, love this, I love this quote so much, I keep bringing it up because I just think it's hilarious. But do you know how much the Jews despised the Gentiles? It's not that the Jews just disliked the Gentiles. They disliked the Gentiles. And of course, the Gentiles disliked the Jews. But the Jews were so against the Gentiles, get this, that it was said that the, in the mind of the Jew, the only reason why God created the Gentiles was because the Gentiles were going to be the fuel for the fires of hell. Bless God. And I don't know about you, but if, if I came up to you and said, oh, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. <gasps> really? What is it? You're going to fuel hell. <laughs> like, that's not how you make friends, you know? And imagine this. You have these two groups that hated each other. And listen, and listen, this is what Paul said about what Jesus did in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For Jesus himself is our peace. Think about this. Who made both groups, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, who made both groups one by breaking down the dividing wall of partition by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. Do you hear what Paul is saying? That, that here is Jesus, and he had these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, and everything that divided them, racially, politically, he, he really tore all of that down. And in the body of Christ, there is not Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian. There's just Christian. That's phenomenal. And I don't know about, if you want to think about this in our day, but can Jesus deal with the racial stuff? Yes. Can Jesus deal with the political stuff? Yes. Can he deal with denominationalism? I hope so. Because you realize when we get into eternity, there's not going to be Baptist Christians and Lutheran Christians and Presbyterian Christians and Pentecostal Christians and non-denominational Christians. There's not going to be Methodist Christians or Mennonite Christians. There's, you're going to have to leave all of that at the door. Why? Because he's removed all of those barriers now there is just Christian. Isn't that phenomenal? So I'm not saying abandon your church. Go to your church. But do you realize we, we, it's, God's heart is not denominationalism. It's not division stuff. That, that we, as he says in John 17, are to be one as the body of Christ, just as he and the Father are one. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't think you can get any more one than the triune God. He has removed all those barriers. What has he done? He's restored. He's healed. He's cured. God is in the business of healing. I just love that idea. 
So not only was Jesus healing the physical and the emotional and the spiritual and the, the racial and the political and all that, all that kind of stuff. Ponder this. Jesus also knows what it feels like to endure the physical pain, the emotional distress, and the weight of sin. He, he's not just some God who sits in the distance and going, well, I have no idea what you're experiencing, but okay, I'll bring healing on that. Do you realize that Jesus experienced the physical, the emotional, and even the spiritual? Look what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4.15. He says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. That, that word for weakness in the Greek, it bespeaks of not only just the physical weaknesses like sickness and disease, but also the, 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 the spiritual stuff. Jesus knows. He walked through life. He probably hit his thumb with a hammer at some point. He knows what pain feels like. So he can empathize with our, our distress. He can empathize with our weakness. He can empathize with what, is, what it is that you're dealing with. In Matthew 26, it says that Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be grieved and distressed. What is that? That's emotional stuff. He knows what it's like to go through emotional turmoil. And then Paul in Corinthians tells us that God made Jesus who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned, and yet God made him sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he knows the weight of sin. He knows the, the tragedy of, of what it means to, to be condemned by, by this thing called sin. So he is relatable. He, he knows what you're walking through. So when he looks at your pain and when he looks at your emotional distress and when he looks at your sinful condition, he goes, look, I delight to heal that. That, that I've experienced, I know what it feels like. He's never sinned. Please understand that. I know it's not impressive, but I'll beat you up. <laughs> Jesus never sinned, and yet he became sin for us, folks. So he knows the physical, he knows the emotional, he even knows the weight of sin, and he looks at all that and says, oh, do you know who I am? I am Jehovah Rapha, and I delight. I was and is and always will be a healer. Could I deal with that in your life? And I don't know what it is, again, what you're going through, but wouldn't it be amazing if Jehovah Rapha, the God of the Old Testament, who came in the flesh, his name is Jesus, actually wants to deal with every area of your life? Now, when it comes to the physical healing and the emotional healing, I, I just want to freshly just remind all of us, does he heal every single time? No. Which drives me crazy. There are people that I have prayed for who have never been healed. Uh, we, we have one lady in our midst, uh, Grace McConaughey, who we've been praying for for, what has it been, 15 years or whatever it's been now. And she just has a lot of physical issues, and we're constantly praying for grace, and we are standing in a position of faith on grace, but God has never healed grace. And here's, if I can encourage you or remind you, when it comes to healing, God will always do that which brings him the most glory, every time. And sometimes that means physical healing. And sometimes that means he won't heal the physical 
but he'll not heal the physical to showcase his glory. Uh, you look at someone like Amy Carmichael, the great missionary in India, rescued all these girls from temple prostitution. And it's amazing that the last couple of decades of her life, if I remember correctly, uh, she had fallen, she was, she was going somewhere, she fell, I think in this hole, she damaged her back, and she basically spent the last couple of decades of her life on bed rest. And they were praying for Amy Carmichael. Lord, here's this great missionary, you've done so much through her life, why wouldn't you heal? And yet Amy Carmichael was constantly testifying, do you realize that whether God heals me or not heals me, I trust him. And she walked triumphantly in that. I find it interesting, if we could have Grace McConaughey come up and just share with you, you would never know that she was actually walking through physical stuff. She is one of the most joyful people I know. She is constantly smiling. She's constantly encouraging other people. She's constantly pouring her life out. And her life is a testimony of the grace of God in the midst of weakness. And I look at her life going, wow, what, what a Jesus. Because if grace can do that, I have no room to complain. I, I mean, you know, I'll go to the gym and I'll tweak my back. And I'm like, Lord. Now, I know it's going to go away in a week. But I'm just like, I'm in travail. Why? Because I have this little on my back. And then I think about grace, and I'm like, oh, I am, Lord, forgive my, just forgive me. Because <laughs> here I am complaining. Here I am going, what's going on? Here I am just, and yet here's this woman who has walked through decades of just great physical, I mean, great physical difficulty and pain. And yet she's constantly praising Jesus, and she's constantly worshiping Jesus, and she's constantly, does that make sense? So I, I am, when it comes to say grace, I am expecting that God will heal her. We are standing in a position of faith saying, "Woo! we trust that God can heal her. But Lord, we want whatever's for your glory. And if, if, the, if you'll receive the most glory through her healing, whoo, praise the Lord. And if for some reason, by not healing her, you are allowing her just to show forth what it means to trust you and walk in your grace and walk in your sufficiency and walk in your supply, then Lord, we trust that too. So blessed be the name of the Lord. Does that make sense? But God delights in healing. And he will heal physically, he will heal emotionally, and his primary, you understand, is the spiritual. So take that and come back into Exodus 15. How the Israelites had just got out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea. And the passage says, and I find this intriguing, you should probably highlight it, they, they went three, this is verse 22, they went three days into the desert. There's all these interesting passages throughout Scripture that mention the three-day thing, and I don't think it's by accident. Three days, three days, three days, three days. For example, here they walk three days. Uh, Abraham, when he's about to sacrifice Isaac, walks three days, right? There's, there's, there's something to this three-day thing, and I'll let you study that out yourself. But I think it's really critical and important in the passage. But, but imagine this. Here, here are the Israelites. They just crossed the Red Sea, and they've gone three days into the wilderness. You realize they are at the point of no return. That they've gone too far. In other words, if you've gone three days into a desert with no water, you don't have enough time to go back. You will die. You need water. So they're in this desperate situation. And uh, could you imagine, 
they, uh, they're, they're walking and they're just getting desperate. And some guy says, oh, look, I see some water. And so he runs over there because there is some water. He reaches down, puts it to his mouth, <laughs> spits it out. Why? It's bitter. The water is not as it should be. And so people start grumbling and complaining to Moses. Moses, we need water. Moses, we're about to die. Moses, we're in the middle of a desert. There's no hope for us. Hey, why did you lead us out of here? We, we could have done better in Egypt, right? That whole, that whole thing. And so Moses turns to God and says, God, your people. What do you want me to do? We're in a desperate situation. And Lord, we are dependent upon you. What, what is it that you want to do? Now, of course, they called that place Mara because of the bitter waters. And so here, here are the bitter waters, and, and they're like, what, what do we do? And the thing about this, Moses turns to God, and, and God says, hey, see that tree right there? Yeah, grab that tree, throw it in the waters. And when the tree hit the waters, the bitter waters weren't just cleaned. They weren't just purified. They were made sweet. That is the weirdest story. Well, not the weirdest, because there's some other ones. <laughs> but that is odd. You got to admit, that's... Why would some tree branch make water sweet? Think about this. This is just a marvelous thought of Jesus in the gospel. Here is this body of water called Mara. It's bitter. The water is not as it should be. It's polluted. It's twisted. It's unusable. It's not fit for consumption. Do you realize that is your life? Your life has a in it. It's called sin. Your, your body of water called you is not as it should be. It's polluted. It's twisted. It's unusable. Everything that you're producing is unrighteousness. The only thing that's coming out of your life is bitterness. The only thing that is, is being produced out of you is, is death. It's called sin. Your life is not as it should be. Now, most of us are not desperate like the Israelites were desperate. But here are the Israelites, and they, and they turn to Moses, and Moses turns to God, and God says, I have a solution for that. Here's this body of water that is twisted and polluted and only producing death. Do you know what my solution is? Moses, here's a tree. Isn't that fascinating? And Moses took a tree, and when the tree was planted in the middle of the bitter waters, the bitter waters weren't just cleaned up, they became sweet. Have you ever had water that was so pure that it actually had a taste like a sweet taste to it. I'm very finicky about my water. I, I'm, I'm becoming, unfortunately, like a water snob. I, it's, it's really bad. Uh, I am not a fan of Windsor water. It just has this <laughs> taste to it. I don't, I don't know what it is. I just, I just don't like it. And I, don't wanna, I can't afford bottled water. And so uh, some years ago, uh, some of the mocklers came over to my house while I was gone, and they installed this reverse osmosis thingamabob extravaganza beneath my, beneath my sink. 
And I came home, and they're like, there you go. There is clean water. I was like, oh, I love clean water. And it was amazing. <clears throat> I, I put my glass, and I filled my glass full of water, and that water is not just pure. It's not even just clean. It actually has this strange, sweet taste to it. It is like pure. <laughs> For the glory of Jesus. Ponder this. Your life is full of bitterness. Your life is full of death. Your life is not as it should be. It's unusable. It's undrinkable. It has a, there's a twist. It's called sin. Well, what's the solution to my life? A tree. It's called a cross. And do you know what Jesus wants to do in your life? He wants to plant the cross of Christ smack dab in the middle of your bitter waters. And when Jesus comes in the middle of your bitter waters and he plants his cross and his life, his salvific work in you, do you realize that it, you don't just become clean, you don't just become pure, your life actually becomes sweet. We need that in this generation. Because what do we have to offer the people around us if all we have is bitter waters? What do we have to offer the world if all we have is pollution and death? See, God wants to take all of your twistedness. He wants to take all of your pollution. He wants to take all of your sin and all of your depravity and all of your... And not just clean it, not just purify it, but actually make it sweet. Oh, how does that happen? Jesus. He is Jehovah Rapha. And when you look at the passage, God, after he healed the waters, he, he looked at Israel and says, look, if you would just obey me, if you would just come after me, I will, I will not put upon you that which I did to the Egyptians. So the idea of Rapha then is not just this idea of restoration and healing. There's also this idea of protection and security and preservation and that, that I will put a hedge of protection around you and I will not do to you which I have done to the Egyptians why? Because I, the Lord, am Jehovah Rapha. He's our healer, folks. His name is Jesus. And wouldn't it be amazing if when the world looks at your life, they actually see the work of Jehovah Rapha in you? I have been convicted lately that, that when the world looks at the modern church, it does not see victory. I mean, when you, when you hear what the world says about the modern church, it, it's, all, it's all twisted stuff. That we are hypocrites, that we're liars, that we're all about division, we're all about the hatred stuff, we're, we're all about uh, that our lives haven't changed, we're just doing religious performance. And for most of the modern church, that is true. But that's, that's not the gospel, folks. Do you realize, and this has been what's really convicting in my own soul, that when I walk in defeat, when I live in sin, when I'm in turmoil, when I walk in fear, when I'm not walking in peace and joy and life and triumph, do you know what declares to my world? That my God is not a healer. Does that make any sense? 
See, if, if I'm not living it, if my life hasn't been radically changed, then when the world looks at my life, I say, "Woo, I'm a Christian. And they look at me and they go, well, why would I want him? You're the same person. You're, you're still full of greed. You're still full of lust. You're still full of fear. You're still full of backbiting. You're still full of hypocrisy. You're still full of yourself. You're still full of, and you're no different than anybody else. Why would I want your God? See, your life is an image bearer of the King of Kings. Your life is an image bearer of the fact that God is Jehovah Rapha. Wouldn't it be neat if when the world looked at your life, they didn't see you, they saw him and his working in you? I mean, could you imagine being so radically transformed, being so changed and, and transformed in your bitter waters that when the world looked at your life, they just go, I don't, I have no idea how you're doing what you're doing. How is it that the world is doing what it's doing and yet you are fully at peace? That's not normal. I know. Why, why is it that we're having all these weird issues and yet you're full of joy? Why is it that the world says, well, guys will be guys, and yet you're actually walking in purity? H how is it that, that there's supposed to be all this backbiting and hypocrisy and yet you are, you are constantly living out the life of Christ? How is it? See, what is it that God has done in your life that has so transformed it? Because I need that. Does that make sense? So if I'm not experiencing the reality of him being Jehovah Rapha in my life, in, in, in my inner part of my being, in, in my spiritual life, then what, what good do I have to give to anybody? And I think one of the reasons why the modern church has, in one sense, pushed away the world or the world has run away from the reality of the gospel is because the modern church is not living out the reality of the fact that we don't have to be what we've always been. I don't have to live with bitter waters anymore, folks. I don't have to live in the emotional distress. I, I don't have to live with the depravity. I, I don't have to live with the impurity. I, I, don't, I could actually walk in victory and triumph and hope and joy and life. Why? Because I have Jehovah Rapha. And he lives inside of me through his spirit. And he wants to invade every area of my life and make every area of bitter waters in my existence. Not just clean, not just pure, but sweet. Can I ask you, if the world was to look at your life, would they be, oh, dumbfounded? by all that God's done in your life to change you. I, I understand we're all in process. I understand none of us are finished. I understand that the process of sanctification is lifelong. I get all that. But shouldn't there be a radical transformation in your life that when you come to Jesus, the world would just see a transformation, that they would see a change, that the way you think, the way you talk, the way you live, the way you act, the way you, like everything begins to change. Why? Because as Paul reminds us, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold! New things have come. All things have become new. And do you realize this isn't just for some areas of life. This is for every single area of your life. 
your physical, your emotional, your spiritual, your thought process, your language, your motives, your attitude. Wouldn't it be interesting if Jehovah Rapha, who delights in healing, who could take bitter waters and make them sweet, could you imagine what he would want to do in you if he came to live inside of you? He wouldn't leave you alone, would he? Don't you think he would invade every crevice and every corner and every cabinet and just say, can I have that? Oh, can I change that? And I know that's a lifelong process. I get that. But see, I want my life to declare to the world, oh, God is still a God who changes lives. See, see I, I, I don't want to cause my, or I don't want to allow my life to be the cause for why people are going, I don't want Jesus. Because what good is he? If he can't change you, why would I want him in my life? See, I want the world to be able to look at my life and go, wow, if he can change you, I need him too. Can I encourage you? God can change your life. I don't care what your issue is. God delights in healing. And just as Elijah restored and rebuilt the altar of the Lord, would it be possible for God to actually restore and rebuild your life to look like how it was supposed to look like, which is Jesus, that you would be conformed to the image of Christ and anything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus, would you let him heal that? Would you let him restore that? Would you let him transform that and truly walk in the reality that the old has gone? The new has come. Why? He is Jehovah Rapha. Ah, Lord, we thank you that you're not just a healer back in the day. It's not that you just showed up and here you are walking around healing, doing all these miracles, and you just kind of went, all right, I'm done with that. But Lord, you were and are and will forever will be a healer. That's just your nature. That, that, that's your heart. And Lord, I thank you. It's not just spiritual stuff that you heal. Oh, thank you for that. But Lord, thank you that, you that you delight in the physical, you delight in the emotional, you delight in the racial and the political, you, you, you delight in healing everything. That, that your desire is to take the bitter waters of death, that which has been twisted and polluted and perverted, and you desire not just to untwist and unpollute and unpervert, not just to clean and to purify, but to go infinitely beyond, above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine and, and make that bitter water sweet. Lord, could you do that in our lives? Could you do that in our minds? Could, could you do that in the very depths of our souls? Would you do that in our motives? Would you do that in our attitudes? Would you do it in our, in, our, in our language, in our thought processes, in our actions? Lord, could somehow my life reflect the reality that you still change lives? That you are still the one who delights in transformation. That you are still the one who delights in restoration. You are still the one who delights in taking that which is twisted and healing 
And Lord, I just want to say thank you for not only what you have done, but what you are doing in my life. And not just even what you're doing, but what you will continue to do. Lord, thank you that you are the Lord who heals. You are Jehovah Rapha. We love you. We thank you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.